0: oh yeah what's up everybody welcome welcome to the artist of data science happy hour it is friday june 25th 2021 super excited to have all of you guys here everybody welcome hope you got a chance to tune in to the episode i released today talk to the one and only the great and powerful ken g Uh, it's an episode i've been waiting to release for quite some time so i was happy to finally get him onto the show. Um, So for those of you guys that are tuning in on YouTube, on where else, Twitch, on LinkedIn, you guys are more than welcome to join us right here in the Zoom room. The uh, link is right there in the description. I'm excited for this weekend. It's going to be an amazing weekend. I get to spend both weekend mornings with my friend who happens to be here. Vin Vashista. I'm excited for Vin's course. Vin, real quick, man, tell us a little bit about this course that you got going on. Cause I, for one, am super, super excited about this.
1: Yeah. I love this class. Um, So this is something that I've been teaching off and on for three years, but for the first time last month, I offered it out to see if anyone actually wanted to take it outside of corporate America. And yes, apparently it's fairly popular. And so this whole class is about strategy but not business strategy the way Grandpa Porter taught business strategy. This is business strategy specifically for data scientists and people in our field and talking about how artificial intelligence has changed strategy planning, it's changed business models, it's changed operating models. It has, you know, that word disruption gets thrown around a lot, but what does that mean? What does it mean to disrupt the strategy of competitors? What does it mean to enter markets laterally or even kind of parachute into markets like Amazon has done in some cases and Apple's done in some cases? And so the entire class is exploring all of the implications of AI. And it's aimed at teaching data scientists how you're basically at the middle of this. You're in the center of this strategic transformation that businesses either go through or they die. And so the whole class is aimed at teaching data scientists, anyone in the data science and machine learning field, how you can actually implement strategy and how artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, your role, how you are a strategic role. And then how do you then, now that you're a strategic player, how do you implement data science? How do you actually boots on the ground, get it to work, get it functioning in the organization? And yeah, I'm excited because I know a lot of people that are in this class this weekend. So this is going to be a good one.
0: Yeah, man, I'm super pumped for this. It's going to be really, really, really beneficial. I think for me at this point in my career, is it targeted to people who are mid-career, people who are uh, find themselves in leadership roles? Like who's kind of the intended audience for this course you got going on?
1: Originally, when I created it, it was strategy consultants. So these were folks that were in the business strategy world and they're pure business strategy consultants. And after I did one about three and a half months ago, and someone approached me after the class and said, wouldn't this be better if we had some data scientists in there? And so I pivoted the class a little bit, but it's still heavily focused on the strategy side of the house but now it's speaking directly to data scientists at mid to late stages in their career, as well as people that are in leadership. But it's really, like I said, it's that kind of trying to drag you into the strategy world.
0: Yeah, man, I'm I'm really really excited for this. Um, hopefully, you guys get a chance to uh, to to join. I don't know if you got any spots left this weekend, Vin, but go ahead and uh, go ahead and drop a, a link right here in this chat, and I'll make sure I spread it on the uh, chats for LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitch. It. Everybody else, man, super excited to have you guys here again. Hopefully, you guys got a chance to tune into the episode that uh, I did with Kenji today. Next week, I got an awesome episode releasing with Doctor Jordan Ellenberg. He wrote the book. Shape, so this book right here, Shape, um, he was uh, generous enough to give me two copies. So one copy I'll be giving away next week right here on the show. Interestingly enough, this is a book about geometry and I was watching one of Vin's uh, videos the other day and he's talking about how important geometry is to uh, today's science and machine learning. So uh, if you want your chance to win this book, make sure you uh, join us and you know I'll, I'll figure out some way to pick a randomly selected winner. Um, I'm good at doing random things. All right, guys, super excited to have all you guys here. So, man, I was thinking, like, you know, that I'm seeing all these people graduating from, from high school all around here, right? They're doing their their grad pictures and the, you know, lawns and stuff, doing drive-by grad parties. It's been 20 years since I graduated high school. Like, holy shit, man, 20 fucking years since I graduated high school. And, I mean, my career has not been, like, the rosiest career. And I think about, like... You know, when I when I hear people like Vin talk or or Joe talk they talk about how they had such strong like, guidance and leadership in, in the form of good managers and mentors and stuff like that. Um, so for those of you who have had just amazing bosses that or mentors or guys that have helped you up until this point in your career, um, like how different do you think your career would have turned out? I guess let's start with uh, Vin, then let's go to Makiko.
1: I think, you know, I talk about great mentors because I don't want to talk about all the terrible ones I had. I had some trash managers, like some straight up trash managers, and I really hope they're not watching because at one point in my career, I was a trash manager. I mean, a lot of us as leaders don't get the kind of training you need before you dropped into a technical leadership role, and I didn't. So, you know, it's not their fault. I'm not jumping all over them. But yeah, I had trash leaders and they jaded me pretty heavily but I had enough good mentors that were able to kind of pull me out of some of the bad situations that I was in and develop my talent. They saw something in me that was worth developing, so they put the time into me. And I'll be honest, without the good ones, I wouldn't be where I am right now, but also without the bad ones, without the absolute trash that I had to work for, I wouldn't be where I am now either. I've had some managers that through being horrible at their job taught me how to be an amazing leader. I've had, you know, a lot of education from both sides. And so while, yeah, they're toxic jobs, at the same time, while in the toxic situation, I was able to learn a whole lot and find people who are willing to mentor me, who are willing to also grab me and pull me out of that situation. So, I mean, that's for me, I've had both sides and my career wouldn't be the same if I didn't have good and bad.
0: Yeah, man. I absolutely love that because I I was reflecting on my career and I've had to go a lot of this shit alone. Like, I mean, I've had a couple of bosses at a couple of jobs, but for the most part they were not that great of bosses and the times where i did like i just spent a lot of time like with, with no manager having to lead myself and i guess maybe that's one reason why i'm just kind of disciplined at getting shit done but like the importance of having good managers good bosses i think can't be understated I Mikiko, mean, let's talk about you how what do you think your career would be like if you hadn't had um you know talking about the good mentors and the good good bosses that that we've had
2: for real it wouldn't exist that's, that, that's just like straight up the answer, you know, because I think, um, so something that one of my mentors actually, um, and mentor of at least 10 plus years, right. Because he initially started as my fencing coach in high school, right. For a very poor public school, which, uh, God knows why we even had something so hoity-toity as fencing. Right. But, um, he was like an assistant sort of volunteer coach there. Um, You know, and like, yeah, 10 plus years. And something that he kind of like, you know, I was struggling to explain to my parents like my career moves Uh, because, you know, they are much older and they came from a generation where you were the company man or woman. Um, Actually, they came from the generation of company man. There was no company woman. So, you know, that's how much older they are. And trying to explain to them like, you know, what is even machine learning when, to be honest, like even amongst us in a community, we can't always seem to like agree or come to a consensus of what that is. And I try, I try to explain it to my parents. And, you know, he was saying that, you know, part of the frustration of people who are outside the tech field when they look in is that there's this language, there's this capital that is used to describe, um, you know, just a lot of the work that we do. And a lot of times when people don't have access to that capital, it becomes very, very hard to break into tech. You know, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you do not have those connections, if you don't have the language, if you don't like talk the talk, I mean, so many of my friends, right? They can tell you about how they have to code switch. You know, um, it, it's a real thing. It's a real blocker. And so, if I didn't have like my mentor to uh, not just tell me about like tech, but to help guide me in terms of how someone can kind of bootstrap their career, I would not have a career because my own family did not have the capital to help guide me in that. Um, yeah, so it's just super important. And a lot of times, I think. Some people think mentors are like, they have to give you the advice for your career. No, 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 no. That's not like what they're there for, right? They're not always there to give you personalized, like, you know, how do you interview for an ML job, ML engineering job at, at Amazon? Well, you know, they didn't have ML engineering like 20, 30 years ago necessarily in that specific form. But what my mentor gave me was first off, you know, a moral code, you know, what are the things that you do or do not do, you know, like as a professional. Um, how do you ensure that how you do your work is in line to your values? And the most important thing my mentor told me was that like look you know or showed me was that um, you can live the life that others give you. you know either you adopt it because of the stereotype state or the biases that society has about you. You can live that life, you can kind of like go with the stream or you can have the I was gonna say the cone is but maybe vision um, or you can you know have the grit, to come up with your own destiny and so those were really important if i didn't if i didn't have that mentor and two three others and really good mentors i can count on like one hand but they were amazing in terms of the impact so yeah wouldn't even have had like a career without that mentor
0: Absolutely love it uh i know this is a bit in contrast i think last week we opened up talking about our, our bad bosses and um that was, that was an interesting discussion if anybody has questions in the chat here or on linkedin youtube twitch wherever you may be watching this um let me know right there in the chat i will add you to the queue um but yeah i mean mark have you had like okay so so the question that we that we were just you know kind of warming up here talking about with and uh, if anybody wants to to chime in please do it's like you know i was reflecting back on my career it's been 20 years since I graduated high school. I've had to go much of this journey alone. I've not had like the few times that I actually did have bosses that I directly reported to, they're horrible. Um, And I just keep finding myself in positions where I don't have bosses and I'm just like doing shit on my own. Um, But I'm, I'm wondering how different uh, your career, do you think your career would have turned out if you didn't have those awesome bosses, awesome managers, mentors, things like that? Uh, we'll go to uh, Mark, then Greg, then if anybody else wants to chime in, let me know. Also, if you guys have questions right there in the chat, let me know. That's how you get at it.
3: Yeah. So I think for me, my my current manager is exceptional. Um, she she's, has both the uh, technical background, so I can talk kind of the, the technical concepts but also like has a background in IO psychology and, and, you know, workforce and how to be effective manager. And also like our product at our company is geared towards culture and, and building better work habits. And so I kind of got really lucky in that it's just a whole system designed to have really effective managers, but more importantly, like where my career would be, I think it came at a critical moment because at my last role I had a really bad manager that really made me question whether or not I was good enough to be a data scientist. There's a difference like putting in the work, but like sometimes you put in the work and you're just not cut out for it, <laughs> um, you know? Um, and it's like, is it worth the effort to really get to that point? But uh, coming to this role, I me realize, oh, actually it wasn't me, um, you know, it was a combination of forces and just didn't have a good manager to help direct me at an early state. Um, and so, now that i have this exceptional manager you know i'm able to think more critically like what does my career look like moving forward as a data scientist and i'm able to have effective conversations of all right here's where i'm currently at here's where i'm trying to go here are the key steps i need to get to and i think a key thing that that really directed a lot of my work recently i had a conversation with my manager she's like look you're doing great on the technical side like you're probably one of the better ones on our team currently like you should actually focus less on that. The key growth area for you is going to be on the business side of really connecting those technical skills to business. needs. And that was like a quick aha moment, like because I really haven't been able to have those conversations with anyone um, beyond this amazing group, but more so tied directly to to my actual um, career at the moment. So just having an amazing manager that both knows how to work with people and have the technical side has been a game changer for me and it's really 10x my my current data science career and i feel like if i didn't have that i don't think i would be at the current level i'm at or nor have the the dreams i currently have of where i want to go with data science
0: thank you very much mark also shout out to the community members in the building russell what's up Akshay, what's up spencer uh we got we got my entire bottom row is this matt i got matt blaza matt sharp matt diamond and then dare george george i I know you sent me a message on LinkedIn. So I'm happy to get your question after this, but let's hear from, from Greg. Um, and then everybody else, uh, wherever you're watching this, if you got questions, let me know. I'll add you to the queue. Uh, go for Greg.
4: Yeah. So I uh, definitely enjoyed uh, listening to, to pretty much everyone here about how great a mentor is. It's, uh, it's true. We, we all need that. We all need the 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 uh, role models in our lives to be inspired and I've been uh, lucky enough to to have uh, those folks coming out come in and out and uh, help me from the first person who gave me a a chance to start my first job uh, knowing that I was on a uh, work permit Uh, and uh, I felt grateful for that but at the same time you know I was I saw my first manager who gave me that first uh, chance as a mentor, but at the same time, that same mentor told me something that ran me away from the company without knowing he was doing so. That actually helped me go beyond, you know, to where I am today. So um, I tried to uh, change my mindset to a different thing, meaning uh, a mentor could be anyone, anyone that's already doing something that you want to do. It could be anyone that's younger than you. It could be older. Uh, you just have to set your mindset for pulling the right stuff that gets you to the next level from that person uh a mentor doesn't have to know he or she is a mentor and that's how i look at it when i get inspired by people out there if i tell you power bi for example i saw someone who's in his 60 who was in his 60s early 60s like kill himself to master the tool and I was like look at me I'm in the early stage of my career. And look at this tool here. I'm comfortable with Excel and this tool is coming to me. I need to learn it. If he can find so much energy to learn how to use this tool, plug in multiple data sources into something that tells a story and he feels so passionate about it. That's inspiration for me. All of a sudden this guy became my mentor without him knowing it. So uh, it's the ability to me to uh, uh distinguish or surface the folks that can help you push through the next stage of your life to me is 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 what gets you to the next step and being able to appreciate that sometimes and going back to that person and saying thank you this is what you did for me without you not even knowing it so uh no i try not to say that you know having a mentor is a finite thing it's a continuous thing you could Come tomorrow and find somebody new in your life that inspires you to go to the next direction. And I can say I've been grateful to to find those folks uh, around me on a daily basis that got me to where I am today. So, uh, yeah,
0: I love it, Greg. Thank you so much. Uh, Also, hopefully you guys got a chance to tune in to the data community content creators award it was earlier this week on tuesday it's also live on the dedicated web page greg was a speaker there he did an awesome job also special shout out to a uh, to one of our community members here mr eric sims eric sims is voted by the data community as their favorite linkedin personality which i've Fucking love, that is awesome. Congratulations, Eric. Eric, you put some awesome stuff here uh, in the chat, so why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that. Also, um, everybody else, if you have questions, you gotta let me know so I can add you to the queue. Um, so go for Eric.
5: Yeah, I was just going to say that I think it's also important to recognize what a good manager or mentor looks like for you specifically. I, it took me you know, a few jobs to kind of figure that out. And I realized that I personally like hands-off managers. part of the reason I really like my current manager is, you know, they just give you space. And if there's a problem, like ask for help, otherwise you're good. Just go for it. Um, And I really like that because I like to work on my own and experiment and break things and fix them and, you know, that kind of thing. And then there are other people like my wife, for example, she's really collaborative. And so if a manager is like, here, I'll talk to you in a few days, it's just like, I'm I'm alone on an island and it just feels terrible. Right. And a lot of people are, you know, collaborative learners versus independent learners. And so, you know, different strokes for different folks was just kind of the the thing that came to mind. And so I think it's important to realize that what works for me may not work for you. And that's fine.
0: Excellent point. Thank you so much, Eric. Um, also shout out to Eric Gitonga in the building. Eric is one of two people who helped tally up the votes independently. Uh, we had Eric and J. Raj Parmar from the community who helped me um, make sure that the uh, counts were independently validated by two third parties. Um, Dare George, my friend, you hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, so I'll go ahead and, and turn the floor over to you. Looks like we're having some audio issues there with Dare George sounds like there's some severe audio issues there my friend um uh just uh go ahead type it right in the chat and uh, let's if you got questions what's up greg matt diamond how you guys doing go for it greg if you got a question or, or
4: no oh, i'll i'll come up with my, my question later
0: okay cool yeah. um <clears throat> yeah also um lee anthony how's it going clint what's up nice to see you guys here so yeah man that was a good discussion so far I do know if you guys got any questions or any other topics for discussion, because um, I can just make stuff up off the top of my head.
5: Yeah. <laughs> That'll work. It's not like a small, I just have like a really small uh, daily day to day kind of thing. So um, I am currently trying to figure my way around, you know, 500 tables or so and figure out. You know how they all relate in in meaningful ways, right? And I have not so far been able to find like a like a good schema diagram. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist; it just means I haven't been able to find it yet. Um, but I was wondering if anybody knows of any kind of tool or resource or anything where. Otherwise, I was just considering coding something up that will basically use what I know of the system to take the table name and the keys that I can see and then map me to different tables so that I can just like, you know, make something for myself as a reference. But if anybody knows of any sort of a tool I can use or even the right words, I think it's like a schema diagram, Um, but anything practical would be super helpful. Save me some time.
6: Well, help us out a little bit. uh, Describe what what it's going to look like when
5: it's done. Uh, The thing that I think about is like box of table line to other table um, showing which keys connect to what other tables. And then from there I could, you know, add notes, of like this table tells you this and this table tells you this and that sort of yeah. thing.
0: ERD entity relationship diagram. Mark go for it. I see, uh, oh, sorry. Lee, uh, Lee or Mark, either one of you guys.
6: Is it is it more of a map kind of flow chart kind of A to B to C kind of thing? I, I mean, it could be A to B to C. It could just be, you know
5: like this table is like a fact table and has like these dimension tables that like relate to it or something and i just you know in my mind it's like easy erd.com <laughs> you know <laughs> it's you know that kind of some kind of a tool or something
6: well if if it's if it's just a map google has a little uh, mind map program it's a templated kind of thing you can put like a little bubble and then it lets you draw an arrow to the next bubble and then to the next bubble, if that helps, uh, that's just a quick, dirty tool to just give you a point of reference. It's it's built in the Google Sheets show. Um, you can do that pretty easily.
0: So just oh. clarify, Eric, like, are you looking for something where you just say, okay, here are all my tables and then it'll just find the relationships for you between like primary keys, foreign keys and like spit out at ERD? Because that would be awesome, I'd love that. Uh, but Mark, go for it.
3: Um, I just went through this process um, for the startup, and I know exactly that we do not have that resource, so I was the one to create it. Um, and so, what you're lo- it was rough. Um, the thing you're looking for is called the entity relationship diagram, so ERD. What uh, uh, Harpreet was mentioning, and then also I think I think the right terminology is like there's different ways connected. There's like Crow's feet notation as well, which provides information on like the directionality and like where are the primary keys. Um, And then also another key terms you want to look up is primary key and then primary composite key. So like for your table, is it essentially, you know, like a one specific value that, that connects it as a primary key or there's a primary composite key where it's like multiple values. So like Mm. for me, it'll be like user ID, org ID, and then I don't know, date, something, making something up. Um, And again, that's like the unique value uh, will be like a unique set of values to tell you it's a distinct row. Um, So those are the key things I will look for. A tool I used uh, for this is Lucidchart. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can essentially look up uh, like an ERD ERD tool. I think the big challenge is, especially with, with your, since you're working with company data, is just going to by security. So if you don't have one already, just ask security, hey, is this a tool I can use for free? There's, there's certain free tools. Um, hopefully you're not using BigQuery. Um, I use BigQuery. And unfortunately, they don't allow exporting your metadata. And so uh, all the nested values I had to do manually, and it was a layer of hell trying to figure that out. There's, If you do do that, I have a link for you, if you have BigQuery, um, to to navigate that. Um, But for the most part, many other tools um, are much nicer and can export that metadata that tells you what are the table values and their primary and or composite keys and how they connect.
5: That sounds pretty sweet. Okay. Yeah, I actually just barely became even aware of the concept of a primary composite key recently. So that's definitely something to look into. Uh,
0: Mikiko, go for it. And then we also, we have data engineers in our midst somewhere. Where is uh, Matt Sharp? And I think, uh, well, Matt Blaza is data governance, but that might be helpful. Or Vin. But, but Mikiko, go for it.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm always a kind of the lazy way. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> So uh, depending on what SQL editor you use, uh, DBeaver and Razor SQL, I think both have an option to generate ERD diagrams. Um, I mean, a a creative option, I guess, is you could, uh, I mean, Eric, you were doing some work with like network graphing libraries, right? So that's another option to do it. Sure. Um, But I don't know, I mean, like my my two cents, I don't know. You would need to necessarily map all the tables, or if you do, you'd still probably want to like pass it by, like data engineering or data governance or um, whoever is kind of responsible for that. The nice thing with uh, some tools like DBeaver, for example, if the engineers have like annotated the columns, you'll actually see the you'll see like the the, the comments like on the columns, and sometimes they describe like they actually define like what is this column, right? Um, but it's one of these weird things where a lot of times when you're working with databases, they're kind of like these like weird living artifacts, where probably like, you know, a bunch of the tables are just going to be used for like transactional purposes, so there isn't really any deeper meaning behind it. But some of the other tables, which are more like the aggregate BI tables, that's where kind of the real sort of defining or conversations kind of need to happen, just because you can have like a couple different ways to define metrics. Um, but I would look at first like out of the box. Um, stuff like on a SQL editor, um, and then I would consider like how many tables. Like essentially, what information would you actually need from those yeah, tables? you're right. You you're totally right. It depends. Like I think it's I think it's it's really super useful. Um, especially like for me, like I'm going through that right now, where like being new to the job, I have to like kind of map all the different like <laughs> data flows and big queries, <laughs> SQL transformations, and all that. Um, so. It's, it's a really good way to understand what is under the hood um, to get, like, I think the real, real definition. Um, it's always good to talk to the data engineering and the business teams.
5: Cool. Yeah, of that's, that's good.
0: Uh, speaking of data engineers, we can get some insight here from one. Uh, Matt Sharp, go for it.
7: Uh, I mean, I, I don't really have anything much more to say than what's already been said. So, Awesome. Well, uh,
0: you got some good resources there and some good URLs. Somebody in LinkedIn says uh, VCO as well, if you want to draw that out. Uh, Thank you, Deb and Jen uh, on on LinkedIn. Um, Eric, is that some satisfactory results for you there?
5: Yeah, I think it's helpful. Like, you know, like Makiko was saying, I think that, you know, know, 80% of the work is going to come from 20% of tables, right? And so for me, I can probably do it with 20 or 30 tables or so. I don't necessarily need all of them but it's like finding also then what's in each of those tables that's going to be meaningful because it's like oh my gosh that column was there the whole time i didn't even realize you know like that definitely had a few of those moments in the past week or so
0: yeah when i started my current job it was kind of like that like there's this a bunch of tables with really uninformative names and i had to go around and i think i talked to like six or seven people to finally figure out what tables it was that I actually needed and then what each individual column meant and then how everything was connected. It took a lot of um, groundwork. And I think, I mean, that, that kind of just speaks to um, maturity, data maturity of a company, which Mark was talking about uh, in a poster the other day, but Mark, I also see you have your hand up, so go for it.
3: Just one more thing is like uh, many, many times uh, these, these diagrams are static. And so they may have changed since the time they were made. So I think one of the more important things you can do is identify who generated the data or if, the, if this is something that your company has generated or somewhere you're getting from somewhere else, um, because those would be the key stakeholders to confirm things, especially when you use it in SQL and you find some funny business.
0: Thank you very much, Mark. Um, yeah, was, I mean, this kind of, this, what's the data maturity like at your company, Eric? Not to put them on blast on LinkedIn for everyone to hear.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, from my perspective, it's great. Like, I have like, I think I trust the things that I see because usually when something is wrong, it's because I did it wrong, um, and so, and I can usually find the correct number by you know triangulating elsewhere and things like that, and. And, you know, to the credit of whoever had the idea to set our tables up, like the way that they have named things, there's a lot of really good consistency, both across like table names, as well as like, it become, it's pretty intuitive to find the keys. Like once you, if you see, you know, a good, a column in a table you can easily figure out what table it's related to. Um, And so, you know, I think I probably have it better than many people in that respect, but I'm just trying to figure out how do I, you know, flatten the learning curve for me as to find, for finding those like key tables, and then also make it easy for the next person who comes in to be like, ah, these are the one or two dozen tables I need to pay attention to first, and then can grow out from there. So, you know, fortunately, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm at the place of where, you know, Mark's sitting of having to do everything from the ground up basically. Uh, But, you know, any happy to learn from anybody's experience. So thank you.
0: Awesome, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, Mark just posted a great paper here on data maturity. Um, that's interesting that we're got to this topic of data maturity because like I'm doing this at work currently. I'm doing like a current state assessment. And um like it's like, oh my god, dude, like am I doing this right? What am I what framework am I supposed to use? So I'm using the 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 I think it's called Dama D A M A D-A-M-A, Dama. Dama. I'm using their framework level zero through level five. Um I mean but the time being spent on it, it's kind of hard to kind of communicate the value or ROI of doing this current state assessment. So maybe Vin, maybe is that something you can help us understand? What are some words we can put into presentations me specifically about why it's important that I should be spending time on doing the current state assessment?
1: Well, this is going to be a general answer, and it's actually something you'll hear me babble about a lot tomorrow and on Sunday, but it's complexity. One of the biggest things that you want to do uh, just at any stage, is reduce the complexity of the business. And so anytime that you have a a data set that doesn't make any sense to somebody who's coming in and onboarding, that's complexity. So onboarding now takes longer. It takes longer to scale the business. Anytime you have worse practices used in in your data, just data governance in general, again, you have all sorts of complexity. Anybody that needs to use that data, especially if it's for model development, you don't know if you can trust it. You don't even know if you're using the right data. Yeah, the columns are labeled nicely, but are they do they actually contain what they claim to? And that's you know, that's where I do when I'm talking to senior leadership and I'm trying to get some cash and get a couple of people hired and have their full-time job just be clean up one of many different types of train wrecks that I can run into. That's usually what I'll say is look, this is adding complexity, and complexity is slowing down the scale that your expansion desires have and so we're slowing that down we could be going faster and you're always worried as an executive are you going fast enough and you're also looking at something that's going to decrease the quality of anything downstream so now you have scale slowdowns you have quality issues and those are the kinds of things that you can talk about it's just anything that they're scared of and scale and quality are two just easy ones that you can always use
0: awesome thank you very much uh vin Matt Blase, if you're around, I'd like to ask you a question about data governance. Matt no, knows a thing or two about data governance. and I'm wondering, um, like, how, how do we, because like, when we talk about data governance, right, people, like, just that word governance, I think, gives people, you know, bad taste in their mouth. Like, what are you talking about data governance? Like, we want data freedom. Um, how do you communicate the value of, of data governance to people who are, you know, maybe have those initial feelings like like I'm
3: talking about. Hey, I'm kind of in. I kind of got an emergency right going on. All right. right hey,
0: well, handle yeah. handle it. I'm going to get you on the podcast to talk about that. Uh, that that's for sure. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah I,
3: got, I got some tables to join. I'll be right
0: back. <laughs> <laughs> have fun, man. Uh, awesome. Hey, anybody else got questions on anything? Please go ahead and let me know. I can add you to the queue. Uh, checking on LinkedIn and youtube don't see anything there uh so dare has a question he he actually typed it out here um so i'll read it uh data science and machine learning is relatively new in my country i really want to be one of the go-to persons in my nation and highly sought after i want to push myself there as an authority and uh, can you advise which route i could take uh, also, what service or assistance can I give to organizations to help them get value, even if it's not being paid for yet? It's a good question. One thing to do is just start start talking about it, right? Start making yourself available for presentations and, and groups like that, um, and then activities like that. Sorry, but yeah, I'd like to I'd like to hear what anybody else here thinks. Um, let's uh, let's go to Vin because you know Vin's OG in this space and you know, becoming becoming a leader. Uh, in this um,
1: it, it's hard to create a category. That's what you're doing. Yeah, it's been created in other countries. So you have precedent, there's interest in other countries. So there's definitely things to leverage, but to become an expert, to create the category and then put yourself at the top of that space, that's that's a really big challenge. And you'll need, you need some sort of a source of authority and you'll need some sort of large project those are my two. Like, if you can find a company that's highly credible and in your country specifically, a company that's well respected and that has some sort of connection, where you can say, "Hey, here's a use case where I can make you a ton of money with data science," you can get them bought in. That's really going to take connections. You have to go into the company and it's, you know, senior leader by senior leader pitching them and putting yourself at the center of the solution to their problem and putting data science and machine learning methodologies at the center of the solution to their problem. And especially if this is something that just isn't being done by a lot of companies in your country, that's hard. That's a lot of work. And then once you get that done, once you've you know walked your way through, done all the selling, you have to make sure you don't get edged out of that use case because a lot of times you open the door You create the opportunity and then Deloitte shows up or Accenture shows up and they just kind of push you to the side and they're like, oh, hey, thanks. And you have to make sure that you don't end up getting kind of caned off the stage. And then from there, you have to maintain enough credit for a project that you did at a company who wants to take all the credit themselves. So you have to maintain some level of credit and that's your source of authority. That's your credibility. And then you have to advertise that like crazy. So it's hard, but it's doable. I like
0: that. So it seems like a first step would be, like like you said, find like the biggest company in your country and then find out what industry that company is in and just look for case studies or use cases, white papers, whatever that you can find that deal specifically with that company's um, industry. But obviously look for machine learning, data science type of use cases and research them and just show them like, hey, this is something that you guys could be doing as well. Is that kind of like how that would go?
1: Um, It's a lot of networking. It's really, anytime you do a consulting relationship, it's it's relationships building or any sort of consulting agreement or consulting engagement. It's always, always, always relationships. And so you're going to be building relationships in that company. Mm -hmm. Getting hired into one is actually easier. I mean, it's almost easier to create your own position in that company, get hired into that position. And then as the company gets more mature and gets to be known within your country as an industry leader in data science, you kind of, by association, get your name in there. And that's another way to do it. Sometimes you have to just create that job, create the need in their mind, and then you know ask, hey, would you mind hiring me?
0: Mm-hmm. So do you think a good idea would also be maybe um starting just like a meetup group for data science and machine learning in your in your company just something or sorry in your country where people can kind of get together who have the same interest and you organize the meeting set the agenda get people involved and use that as an opportunity uh, to network and also build that authority and, and maybe even you know help people who are breaking into the field help them with with projects and, and things like that lift them up um, i think that would probably be a good way to, to build authority and, and your brand and your name in these space as well. Um, anybody else have thoughts on this? I'd love to, uh,
7: Yeah, I have some thoughts.
0: Yeah, please. Um,
7: first, like what Vin was saying, 100% agree. I think there's, you know, there's always other ways to get like to the top. And I guess that depends on what you mean by top, but I mean, you now part of that is maybe it's just a popularity contest. And I mean, it wasn't that long ago where there were a lot of like data charlatans. I, you can almost say people that had really large followings but didn't necessarily know that much technically but they were able to get the hype going and uh, they were really sought after uh, because they were very popular. I mean, the other aspect is is, I mean if you really want to be really sought out sought after in the data space you know you can you can go a very technical route so you can write a lot of white papers you can um you know get a lot of patents you can do these things that you know write books do these things that distinguish you as a very technical leader um and that will always make you sought after um and then i guess um, uh, probably a last solution for this is go become an expert in another country where it's already established, where it might be easier to, uh, you know, grow and learn from mentors. And then, you know, when, when you have established yourself in another country, you can always move back and you'll already have a lot of this experience and a lot of this, um, I guess, clout from maybe working somewhere else not having already established yourself as an expert. So a couple of right. other ways to go about it.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Mikiko, go for it.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, just two additional comments. So there's there's producing value as a practitioner and then there is producing content, sharing it with the community. So sometimes those can cross over, but sometimes they are totally unrelated, right? And I think these are like some of the uh, quote unquote like charlatans. They do a lot of like of content, social media stuff but they actually don't provide enough. They don't really provide a lot of value. And they also sometimes don't know how to even do the jobs that they talk about, right? So there is this, but there is, but there is overlap. There is overlap, right? And I think uh, something that, you know, uh, <laughs> you know uh, if you look at, for example, people on this call Harpreet, Vin, Eric, Mark, Greg, um, you know, the things that they have done really well, number one, is they have acquired, um, you know, what uh, Naval Ravikant calls special knowledge. So it is knowledge that is, uh, you know, it's not necessarily niche, but is is well-defined and it's also very valuable. And they also share it, you know, so that can be an incredibly, uh, from what I've seen so far, from how their careers are you know, developing and all that, that can be a very, very pow- powerful method. Um, the other thing I would sort of make a comment on is, um, so the funny thing is that I think a lot of times, like in the U S we kind of position ourselves as like a superpower and all that, which, you know, I'm not gonna say whether we are or not, um, a technology superpower, but, uh, what I've observed, for example, is that in certain markets, for example, um, like India, um, South Africa, um, uh, South Korea, um, there are certain solutions, which to be frank, American entrepreneurs would not have come up with because they are not in those markets and they would not have thought of those solutions. So for example, uh, mobile transportation um, is pretty big, not necessarily in the US but it's really pretty big in other markets, right? So it's possible that you can come up with solutions or ways to provide value in like your specific market that are very individual to that individual to that market um, using some of the strategies or techniques Um, that you would develop either as a data practitioner anyway. So that's something that I think, um, you know, you will sort of have an edge on versus compared to like, for example, Americans, right? So there's always that kind of like opportunity or that white space uh, for you as a practitioner in your country. Um, But definitely, you know, sharing knowledge, like developing specialized knowledge is, is really important, but also sharing it is also really important because what my manager used to say, is she's like, you know, you got two example. Well, she's like, you got some options. You could either be uh, someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, but you have a big audience, which is really bad. You could be someone who's an expert, and you have not no audience, which you know it means you can still get jobs, you can interview just fine, but you're not really expanding your opportunities to sort of capitalize it. But the best like, the the best place to kind of aim for is to be pretty good at your job or pretty good as a practitioner with a decent audience, and you can always build up from there on either like in terms of expertise or in terms of, you know, audience and connections.
0: Like that specific knowledge feels like play to me, looks like work to others. Mark, go for it.
3: Yeah, so um, I'm just speaking from someone who has not figured it out yet, but is trying to figure it out trying to be like an industry expert. I don't know if I can say industry expert of my country, but that's pretty intense. And also I, I asked earlier if you're a current practitioner or working towards it, I finally found your picture and it was super effective in telling me who you are, which is really cool for the little little icon. Um, and you're, you're, it seems like you're currently a, a practitioner. And so similar to what Kiko said, my current game plan of what I'm implementing right now and putting in action was like the first couple of years just really gaining expertise um, of, of data science and domain knowledge um, to get myself into a role. And then the next step was specifically seeking jobs that will push my technical skills and my ability to drive value and specifically looking for roles that allow me to put things in production that I can point to, like I built that product piece and I can show others. Um, Also another reason why I'm I'm moving away from healthcare because a lot of my healthcare work had to be behind closed doors because of security reasons. And now I'm in more public facing product. There's company blogs where I can say like, I helped build that piece. Um, the next component is my LinkedIn. Um, I'm constantly, uh, engaging on LinkedIn and in the past month, I've really taken it full throttle, um, to really build up a presence and like setting specific goals, uh, to build up that presence. The reason being is that once I build up a presence, my next goal is to transfer that to my own platform. Um, whether, so like Harpreet has his podcast and and his newsletter and all those things right? <laughs> Just some guy on the internet, right? No, he's amazing. Um, But he's able to transfer that. So he owns that. It's not tied to LinkedIn. Um, And so for me, that's my next step is like, I'm trying to own that, own that piece. And the reason being is that by having that collection, people seem as expert, people share, share my resources. More importantly, the other step is networking. Um, So I've been networking for a while. And by networking, I don't mean like trying to know as many people, but like try to gain as many meaningful connections um, because I have this whole mentality of like, I'm not competing with people. I'm trying to expand the pie with people. And the more people I know, the more people I can connect and expand that pie with, the more opportunities that come my way. And so um, by by building that network, um, I can have more opportunities to expand the pie and have access to those big piece of projects that that Ben's talking about, um, where it can put you quote unquote on the map and so um, I think to summarize, I think Makila said much better than me earlier, but get domain expertise, share that knowledge, and then um, leverage that knowledge and, um, and network you've built to turn into opportunities. And I'm currently trying to do that. And I will get back to you all in the future if I figure it out.
0: I love it, man. Positive some games are the really, don't we, the best games. I wouldn't say the only games worth playing, but they are the best games. Positive some games are the best games. Mark, you actually actually also had a question as well. So I'll go straight into your question. By the way, everybody else listening, um, uh, if you have questions, let me know in the chat. Raise your hand, whatever I can add you to the queue. Uh, if you're listening on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitch, if you got a question, let me know. Shout out to Marina who made her way into the room from the linkedin comments i'm glad you made it here uh dave mango what's up Akshay? what's up tashi haven't seen you in a long time my friend good to see you again kelly how's it going clint everybody else um good to see all you guys here go for it mark
3: yeah i i'm super happy we have a data engineer and in, in the call no pressure matt um <laughs> essentially uh um, I've been thinking a lot about data pipelines and my job, but more so on the downstream side of like, all right, you, go, you have our database, how does it get into um, our data warehouse? Um, so that part, I, I've talked to Joe quite a bit. I think I have a good good enough grasp to do the job, but not be expert. The other side that, that our engineers are more so working on now is really thinking about our infrastructure of like our original data sources, how's that ingested into our database? And that's a whole new area that's just beyond me. And like, I tried talking to them and I think they're they're figuring it out too because we don't have a data engineer at our company. And so we're all just kind of talking. And one specific question I have is when you're doing data ingestion, is there any specific key terms to talk about making changes to a user over time and keeping track of those changes um, for data ingestion? That's a very specific question, but I think it's, it's it leads to a lot of downstream impacts of our data quality. And if I had some way, some key terms to look up further and research and get back to our eng team, that would be amazing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Matt, go for it. You're our stand yeah. in recovering data scientists from Salt Lake City today in place of Joe Reese. So, you go, <laughs> go for it. it.
7: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to understand ex- exactly what you're getting after. I mean, the... So there's kind of two aspects. I think one of the things you're looking for is probably an event sourcing architecture. Um, so essentially uh, we're looking more at streams because you seem to be caring a lot more about how users are changing over time. Um, and so I uh, kind of, uh, you know, the traditional long story of how data has always been stored is we throw it in a database and oh, something changed with the user and we're going to update it. And so the database is just kind of storing the information of the state, um, which is okay, but you're kind of throwing away a lot of that information and data of how things change over time. And so uh, kind of the way, the modern way to do that is to use streams and to use what's called an event sourcing architecture where essentially Every single event that ever happens gets put into the stream, and it gets it's immutable and it's logged for essentially um, for as long as you need it. Sometimes that's all time. Sometimes it's not. Um, and so then, if you ever need to figure out what the state of the system is, you would just go and you would aggregate all this event information in the source. Um, Hopefully, this is kind of giving you some some keywords to look at. But I mean, I wasn't even aware of event sourcing architecture, so that is already a big plus for me. Yeah. So I mean, this is uh, I mean, this is why people would move to things like Kafka, um, and, and why uh, it's pretty powerful is because of uh, event sourcing. Really solves a lot of problems that you see in traditional architectures. Um, but but other than that, um, so, so like it kind of depends on where your data is coming in from, and a lot of that is actually, you know, that comes from your software engineers as they're building your platform and they're you know building you know object oriented programming usually to kind of figure out hey this is how people can interact with our website and these are things that are coming in, and then if you want to know how things are changing, often those platforms you start adding logs and you start. Logging how users interact with your website, and- Um. To, to, to kind of clarify, give you a good example, like we work with uh,
3: HR HRIS data. So it's HR platform management training. If someone is at IC, but then like later on they became a manager, but then they're like, I hate being a manager one year later they go back to being an IC. Like those has huge implications throughout our whole product and being able to track those changes really well Um, In a way that just doesn't have to involve jumping through hoops to figure out that would just make our lives so much easier.
7: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a complicated problem and there's lots of different ways to kind of go about it. But um, so you can kind of look at some of those things I just mentioned.
0: That sounds like a like a master data type of issue, right? Um, I, I just at a high level thinking about that, um, Vin, any insight, any suggestions here to, uh, to help mark out, uh, Vin or Makiko or any other engineers in the building?
1: I'm just going to say, no, that would, that would be where I would start. You, you can, but this is a rabbit hole. Just don't go too deep down this rabbit hole. Just do enough to get you by right now. And basically what you've been told is like, go through that and stop. <laughs> it gets a lot worse. <laughs> you can really over-engineer this, so don't do that.
0: Thank you very much. Mark, was that helpful? Or Mikiko, any insider or uh, tidbits here for, for Mark?
2: Um, I don't think this will help, but one of my uh, coworkers, who's I think a staff engineer, Mitch Seymour, he wrote a book called Gently Down the River. That is a children's book about Kafka involving otters. It's very cute. I would highly recommend reading it, not because not it will help you with this problem, but it will help you understand Kafka, which is uh, the widely one of the most widely used tools in the area. it's trying to solve. So it may, but it will definitely be entertaining. Uh,
0: link is right there. It is www.gentlydownthe.stream. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, Right on, uh, questions, comments from anybody else? Go ahead, let me know right there in the chat or comment box, wherever it is that you are consuming this.
2: Well, actually one comment I would make. Um, so there's a reason why like I work with our data engineering team and why I really respect the hell out of them is because they're solving problems like this a lot. And it really is complex because it's not, it, it is a tooling question, but it is also it is also a like process question too. And there's also concerns about like resiliency and scalability and all that. So um, I would say, you know, my recommendation would definitely be uh, talk to some like data engineers, like Matt Sharp, uh, anyone else you kind of know, because it is a hard, those are hard problems um, that, you know, even at Mailchimp, we have like a team that solves those kinds of problems, right? Like as an ML engineer, I don't even touch that because it's just, it's so complicated. So if you feel a little stressed out, I would say, you know, uh, it's okay. It's, if it's a hard problem solved, it's, it's not because you're not solving it. It's because it is a truly hard problem to solve that a lot of times takes people who are like working and thinking about these kinds of problems, like for their jobs, like full-time jobs. So that's just the only thing I would put out there. And also read the book. I,
3: I definitely can read the book. Also completely recognize this insane problem to work on. <laughs> so I was not expecting a full blown, like here's the answer to it. Just more so like, and just reach out to the data science team. You're like, hey, this is our proposed solution. Please check it out if you have any feedback. I just want to give at least some type of feedback that we don't make a decision that makes me regret life later.
0: Oftentimes when I come across these hard problems, it's it and and I'm stuck. It's usually because I don't have the vocabulary to go look for the answer it is that I'm looking for. And like sessions like this, I feel like are very, very helpful because somebody else might know a vocabulary term that you can then go and research and see, okay, is this applicable to what it is that I'm doing? And then in researching that vocabulary term, you might come across another couple ones and then research that. And eventually, you know, within a few steps, you get get to something that might work for you. But um, that's definitely a I love solving hard problems. They're fun. I love researching and uh, going down rabbit holes and doing things. I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Vin says, no matter what solution they implement, you will hate your life. And then everybody started laughing. So now I know why. Uh, So, I mean, speaking of uh, resourcefulness, like what are some tips you can share with anybody, like any, anybody here on the call? um, What are some tips you could share with, with, you know, with whoever's listening, if you come across a problem and you're like, shit, man, like, I don't, I don't have any idea how to solve this. What do I do? What are some things that you do when you come across a problem like that? Um, Let's go to uh, let's go to Eric and then we'll move to um, Marina
3: after that.
5: All right. I just posted that I have to take off, but hopefully it was this Eric and not Eric Atonga. Otherwise I'll just like hand it off to him, (laughs) but I have one minute. (laughs) So did you say resourcefulness for when you get stuck? Is that essentially what it was?
0: Yeah. What do you do when you're stuck and don't know what to do when you're working on a problem? What's your, what's your first go-to move?
5: first go-to move is um, probably keep trying it in a little bit of a different way than Google, then Stack Overflow. And then somebody in like my master's program talked about, they called it like the rule of three. So it's was like, before you go ask a professor, ask three other people. And that actually works really well for making connections with people who are not your professor too. Um, because, you know, that way I'm reaching out to this coworker and then some other coworker. And sometimes those two people will give me different answers, but maybe both of them work or whatever. And then, and then before, and you know, if, if they can't solve it or whatever, then it's like, okay, now I'm going to go now I'm going to go ask a manager or, a you know, somebody who I can, you know, bug to get the answer. But I think it's just I think we underestimate the value of just asking, just asking normal people and asking our friends and the connection that comes from it. Because we realize that we have like mutual questions or mutual suffering or whatever. And we learn together.
6: Yeah, Eric's exactly right. I mean, when it comes down to the rule of threes if well <laughs> you like here now that. that's cool um but no if you can't explain to somebody else and it's still stuck in your head you haven't really kind of got to the real problem yet so you kind of have to drill that down and if by the second time you kind of went through it the you know you kind of rehearsed it a little bit by the third time three's the charm you know three legs on a table kind of thing yeah you you're you're right on track that's that's exactly right eric if you can if you can explain it to somebody else in a clear and simple straightforward way it's it becomes easier to solve. Uh, until then, it's just a complex. Hey, let's go to Mars.
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, what What else? How about? Uh, let's hear from. I forgot who said Marina. Yes, Mar- Marina. Let's hear from you.
8: Um, I think it's kind of like the same. It's just um, trying to like chunking things, right? So try to make this the problem is smaller Um, can you try to make it smaller? Can you ask enough questions that, you know, like you make the whole thing smaller and and then like talk to people, right? So like the, the whole thing about the rule of three or, or the rule of 300, you know, like whatever you need to get there to get your questions answered, but also it's because then you realize that maybe they were not the right questions or you were not understanding the problem, which is, you know, many times um, the case or somebody come with something or a different idea. And then, I don't know, some light um, pops up and then you are like, oh, OK, then I can do something else. Right. And and then, you know, you just also like this chunks, then you just Google it and see what else come up. And then if you can read. Um, but that, you know, like I try to put that kind of like also a time frame for things, because at some point you have to decide, OK, maybe I cannot do it you know, like I, I don't know enough, and then I will have to really like sit down with somebody, right? Otherwise, you can be with you know in that cycle for too much time, right? So that's that's the other thing. So basically you know um chunking and then asking, you know, like try to ask enough questions and then try to explain or to talk with somebody because that's normally um, helps to clarify um your thoughts. Right. Or even like solve the problem. And if not, at some point you just like cry for help.
0: <laughs> I love I love that that tip about chunking because like I'm super stubborn and I don't like set my time up front. I'm like, I'm going to find the right words. <laughs> and it's like two days later and I'm still looking, <laughs> looking for the answer. Uh, let's hear from uh, let's hear from Russell and, and and then from Vin on this. And just for context, for everybody who's tuning in. And also Greg, uh, Greg, we're talking about what you do. When you when you're just stuck on a problem, like you don't have the right vocabulary to even begin to understand how to go and, and search for this. And you, you don't know what to do. How do you start working on a problem when you're at that stage? Uh, let's go to Vin Russell and then Greg. And then uh, if anybody else has questions, whether you are out there in LinkedIn or Twitch or YouTube or even here, let me know.
1: The interesting thing about data science is at some point, somebody's going to ask you to solve a problem that no one's ever solved before. And that's one of the cool things about our field is you're going to get that where you Google, you go to Stack, you've done, you know, these progressions are perfect. And you get to the point where you go, oh my God, no one has done this before. And so you're basically like, you know, building Stack Overflow before Stack exists. I don't know how they did it, but somehow they managed to build that website without not their website. And so what you have to do is, and this is a lot back to chunking, but you, or excuse me, breaking up the problem, you break up the problem into these are problems that have been solved before. And this is the real novel thing that I have to solve. And typically what you find is 95% of this thing that you thought was crazy has never been done before. Actually, when you break the solution down, like 95% of it's been done. And so you can pull that solution as your starting base, And then you figure out what really has never been done before. And you start with, well, why hasn't anyone done this before? Because again, the majority of the time you realize the reason why no one's ever done this before is because you really shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do this. This isn't something that you want to do. You should probably be doing it a different way. And so that, again, eliminates a whole bunch of those, oh, I've just been asked to do something that's never been done before. And then when you finally get one of those problems where for real, not only has it never been done before, but you really should try this thing. There's there's actually something here. You have to, and this is the interviewing piece, you have to start interviewing people who have tried and failed to solve this problem. That's hard. It's hard to find people who are willing to admit, I tried this, I went down this rabbit hole and I failed miserably. And they'll tell you some of the mistakes you they've made if you're lucky, and then you can avoid all those mistakes. Now, and you're hearing how long of a process this is. And so when you finally do get a project where it's like, yeah, number one, this hasn't been done before. Number two, it should be done. You have to then go back to the people who asked you to do it and say, look, this has never been done before. It's going to take a long time and cost a lot of money. Are you sure? And that's one of the interesting things about problem solving is when you do find one of these novel problems, half the time, you don't even get the opportunity to solve it. You get halfway down that road and then somebody goes, yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. absolutely love that. Uh, uh, Recently, Finish this book, "How to Solve It" by um, George or Greg Poila, uh, Pauli or something like that. Oh. Um, but he he talks about solving problems in four different uh, stages. So there's a question here from YouTube: Getting stuck constantly with the vast majority of things to cover in data science and lack of learning structure doesn't help either. How should I practice the skills that I learn on real-world projects? Okay, so how could I practice the skills I learn? on real-world projects. Um, I just really like this framework that's set out in How to Solve It. I think, Mikigo, you, you've also got that book recently, but it starts with first understanding the problem and then asking yourself a series of questions. What's the unknown? What's the data? What are my conditions? Is it possible to satisfy the conditions? Or in this case, assumptions, when you're thinking about machine learning algorithms, statistical techniques. Uh, is the Are the assumptions sufficient to determine the unknown? Then you devise a plan. So find the connection between the data and the unknown. Um, you know, have you seen this type of problem before? Or in Vince's case, have you not seen it? Which Mark wants to uh, have an example from for the real world, which we'll get to. Uh, or have you seen the same problem in a slightly different form? Do you know a related problem? Uh, do you know another technique that might be helpful here? And then you carry out your plan, plan. So carry out the plan of the solution, checking each step. Right. Can then is each step correct? Am I doing this right? Um, and then you look back, examine the solution that you got. Um, so I like that book, uh, how to solve it. It was a excellent read. I um highly recommend it. Um, so hopefully Amin Raj there on YouTube that answered your question. Um there's a question here from from uh, Mark, about a specific example from your career. Vin, do you have anything to share? Well,
1: oh, I, I missed about the last minute. I'm sorry. Let's just typing up a message.
0: No, no, no. So, uh, so Mark's uh, asking here, can you provide a specific example from your career, um, you know, problem you have worked on that hasn't been done before or something that you might be able to share just to kind of give us a, a example, uh, if you're not under an NDA.
1: Um, yeah, that's the thing I was going to say. Uh, all my best work is under NDA, but, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's something I could share. I can't like live. No, I probably yeah. shouldn't, even if I could.
0: So I got another question here coming in from LinkedIn from my, my good friend Rivati. Rivati has it, has it going? Good to see you there. You should just join in on the chat. What are you doing in the comments there? She wants to know is event driven architecture, An alias for Lambda architecture, Um, I got no clue. Um, Anybody want to take this one on? Makiko, Vin, anyone? Is event-driven architecture an alias for
2: Lambda? I know they're not the same. I think Lambda is, one of them is a type of the other, or it's a way to implement. The other, but this is why we really need Matt Sharp to stay on. I'm I'm shaming him so he can see this on video after it's posted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark's asking Lambda in AWS or Lambda in Python. Are there more than one type of Lambda? I know of those two, but like, is there more than those two types of Lambdas? Um,
2: yeah. So there there is, and I think I think this is a challenge because some terms and like in data engineering and machine learning engineering are actually overloaded uh, because lamp okay so so the the the, the, the key phrase is uh, hosted and managed to everything so basically uh, what Amazon Google and I think Microsoft does is they will typically take uh, existing open source um, architecture or libraries and then they'll essentially just bring it sort of like host and manage it within their, I guess, ecosystem, right? So um, for example, like GKE is Google managed Kubernetes, right? a um, uh, Cloud function is Google's version of like Lambda functions. Um, so it's like, it's one of these things where you have the like software Lambda, but you can also, a lot of it's based off of like specific architectural types or, or designs. And specifically with like, With like Lambda and AWS, it's essentially based off of like calling through functions, right, which are used to trigger other things. But that's like different from the Lambda that is relevant to um, the event-based streaming architecture that Matt was talking about. And this is also why I'm not on the data engineering team because I don't know any of this. I I only interact with it after the data engineers do such a great job of getting it into a place. (laughs)
0: Only thing about I know about data engineering is like ETL. I don't know if that's even like, like to, to me when I hear data engineering, it, it's like, oh, it's ETL. But there's so much freaking more to it that I did not know of until I started working with, uh, you know, software and stuff like that. Um, ELT is also a hot phrase. Yes, it is. That's true. Uh, that's when you can build a data lake, then a a data lake house and you build a data canoe. To take it to your data marts. Yeah, it's ELT there. Uh any other questions, let me know. Um, if not, we'll begin to wind it down. Shout out to everybody that we did not hear from. Kelly, what's up? Matt Diamond, what's up? Tashi, good to see you again. Akshay, man, haven't, haven't didn't even get to hear from you, man. How you been?
7: I've been good. I started working at Shopify this month and uh, hey. I'm still absorbing everything. So my brain's really fried after the trainings but uh, it's been amazing Uh, i'll have a lot more to share in the coming weeks and the good news is i'm getting fridays off for the next two months so i'm gonna join for the happy hours but maybe on top of a mountain as long as i have network
0: i love that man i absolutely love that uh yeah congratulations i remember i was listening in um it must have been like a week or two ago i was listening into one of the office hours sessions and it was the one where you and greg were talking about um like the regulatory type of stuff compliance type of stuff and uh, you're interviewing, I think that was the last interview we had with uh, with Shopify. So congratulations on landing that. That is awesome. Um, guys, make sure you tune in to the episode I released just a couple of days ago with Ken G. Not a couple of days ago, today, this morning with Ken G. Uh, it's a great, great episode. If you're listening to this live or if you're watching the replay on YouTube, it's still not too late to join in on Vin's course this weekend Vin can you like give me a link so I could share it across all these different socials um I'm looking uh, it's forward all to the way
1: back at the top okay
0: it's so all the way back at the top I'll yep. go ahead and uh, post that guys definitely join in on that I'm excited to uh to to learn from Vin this week and I know you guys are gonna have a good time if you join as well um so definitely check that out next week episode with uh Jordan Ellenberg. I'll give away a copy of this book, this very copy. He was generous enough to send me two copies. So um I got one to give away. I'll, you know, tune in. You got to join here in the Zoom room. I'll randomly select somebody to to give the book to. Um George Farrakhan on LinkedIn is saying, Congrats, uh, Akshay. So congrats to you, my friend, uh, from George Farrakhan. Um and no other questions from any other platforms, my friend. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join me today and, and hang out. Um be sure to tune in to the podcast. Be sure to reach out, say hi to a family friend member. I'm just rambling now at this point. Got nothing else to say. Guys, remember you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone.